They were high school sweethearts that got married and had two kids. It's the Brunigs. From a new location, they tweet all day, but that's okay. They're the Brunigs. She is a journalist. He is a wonk. Wonk, wonk, wonk. They talk about the news or whatever they want. In the fight for justice, they're on your side. You can't deny it's the Brunigs. Welcome back to our low-effort, low-quality podcast. This is Liz Brunig. This is my husband, Matt. Hello, everyone. Ooh, what a jam-packed week or so it's been in the news. Yes. Uh, we, uh, we, we should get to it all, and I want to let you know that we are going to have a special uh, podcast preview for our, our Brew Crime podcast at the end of this episode. Potentially. So, so stick around. Uh, yeah, we don't know if we're going to do it. So the this preview is, for real. It's a, so the preview is for real, but we don't know if we're actually going to do the Brew Crime podcast. You guys can uh, listen to this little segment and uh, sound off in the comments. Um, but in the meantime, the first presidential debate of 2020 uh, was recent. Yes. It happened last week on Wednesday? Someday. Who gives a fuck? Thursday. I don't know. I had to watch it for work. Probably Wednesday, because uh, Thursday would have been Thursday night football, and they wouldn't want to go up against that. No, probably not. Um, we uh, we had had an interesting day that day. It was rainy. Uh, Matt and I went to a very strange grocery store. Tuesday. In our, I think it was Tuesday. In our immediate vicinity. Um, very odd, and we got a lot of... So Matt has this point of view um when, when people come over to the house i tend to want to cook um things for them mm-hmm. to eat matt's point of view is people just want the charcuterie yeah um and you know meal is too much commitment etc etc finger foods finger foods there's probably something to that apps well that allows people to control how much they eat without feeling like they're you know uh, insulting you or yeah, something like yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, yeah, there's something to it for sure. Uh, so anyway, that's what we did. We got a shitload of uh, meats, cheeses, uh, shrimp from the cost company. No, um, it wasn't the cost company. No, I did get the shrimp from the cost company, oh, okay. bitch. Where do you think they came from? Um, that store we went to. No. Why, you were with me the whole time. You didn't notice me. I didn't, no. Okay. I'll check what you buy. All right, okay. Well, anyway. Try to give you some privacy in that regards. Yeah, Matt freaks out when he goes to the store and puts a bunch of stuff on the belt and the person's like, ah, ice cream and chips. You having a party? Matt, Not Matt. anymore. Just leave. <laughs> Matt's like, that should be illegal. Mm-hmm. Um, He's a self-checkout man, mm-hmm. mainly. Uh, Anyway, it was fun. We had people over, but I think that led to... Uh, Matt maybe paying less attention, uh, but I can confidently say it was a total shit show. Okay, it was uh, it it sucked. Anyone who's like uh, this was a slam dunk for either one of them was wrong. It was like mutually incomprehensible. I saw a little bit of it. Our child was sick, so I was tending to her. But uh, in in between that, I mean, the thing that was most notable about it was just that Trump uh, was so. Um, 
you know, it just, just like interrupting, 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 which, you know, that can be good for like a, a little one liner, you know, like I remember when uh, Hillary Clinton in the last debate, she was talking about, um, you know, uh, well, you know, I wouldn't want Donald Trump to be president. Uh, I wouldn't want him to, you know, have control over the, uh, I don't know what it was, the the Department of Justice or something like that. And then he jumped in and said, yeah, because you'd be in prison. And like, that's real, that's good stuff. Like, yeah. I like that. That's really funny. Um, but if you just, just talk over someone over and over and over and over oh, and over God. again, you know, I don't know what that is because it's not clever or interesting it's just like boring and just really draining to watch yeah trump was way too aggressive the other thing about being that aggressive is you get tired and he did get winded probably because he had covid <laughs> is it confirmed he had covid at the debate i mean you, you can't retroactively confirm it and the white house has put out conflicting timelines on when he was diagnosed um, but there's definitely like a clinical latency period, like a, I guess an incubation period. So, you know, did he have COVID? Maybe. Well, they all got the COVID from the Amy Coney Barrett thing, right? Theoretically. So that preceded the debate, right? Yeah, I believe so. So then he probably had COVID, right? You know, it stands to reason. Yeah. Uh, so he was just blasting COVID. But asymptomatic, so maybe yeah. it wouldn't have gotten winded. Not so transmissible. But anyway... Uh, he, he, he got tired though. I mean, he, you know, he dropped off around the, the last third and was just kind of barely saying anything. And Joe had the, you know, tortoise approach, not the hare approach. And so he was just kind of piddling along the whole time. Uh, and you know, in, in Joe's favor, one can say Hillary was clearly triggered by Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. She was pissed flaming pissed and mm -hmm. trying to rein it in mm -hmm. biden it just didn't really seem to give much of a shit i mean he knew what he was going to be up against but this he also rightly internalized this isn't about any kind of clash between them it's just his chance to address the nation yeah it wasn't a debate i mean a lot of the no. none of the debates are really like debates even when they can go one-on-one -on -one. Yeah. people have been so well trained at this point in time that it never does any good to have a conversation with someone yeah. and like discuss things that that's always worse than just saying your thing and what you want to say. Yeah. That debates don't exist. Like people have completely, you know, uh, gamified their way out of yeah. having a debate. Mm -hmm. um, but this is a, an extreme example of that. Yeah. No real like, Oh, well he says this. What do you say? Oh, yeah. well then I oh. say this and, no. No clash. Just no clash at parallel all. Parallel monologues with interruptions mm -hmm. and it's just it's this bullshit's horrible it's so to watch. bad. I mean honestly just get rid of them. I mean I I was looking forward to, I mean Trump Trump was so entertaining during the debates last time. Not just with Hillary but remember in the Republican primary. Yeah, it he was, was really so funny. funny during the debates. Yeah. It was so good and entertaining. But if he's just going to sit there and just browbeat you which is like nothing, not even funny, not even no, interesting, not, not a bar, not a nickname. 
and and Joe's going to do his media trained thing yeah. where he just kind of says his thing without mm-hmm. any regard to what questions being asked or what Trump's saying. Mm-hmm. Then I don't really want to watch that. Yeah. I mean, I remember I, I was like live blogging, uh, show you how much time has changed back in 15 when the Republican primaries were going on. I was still at the New Republic, like live blogging while pregnant with Jane. Mm-hmm. And now, uh, you know, Jane is old enough to uh, steal my step stool and dig around the cabinets and find my candy stash. Time, yeah. Time flies, man. Mm-hmm. Anyway, fuck the debate. Um, the, the wine moms on Twitter who I monitor very closely are extremely head up about uh, the Kamala Harris-Mike Pence debate. Mm, yeah, I, I watched an ad today on, I want to say it was Fox or whatever, and they were really pumping it up like mm-hmm. this is the debate everyone's looking forward to it's like i don't actually know anyone who's looking forward to it but you now tell me that there is a group of absolutely uh, of wine moms um but like there is there anything corresponding to that on the right uh, uh no i don't I, think I don't they're really psyched about it it's strange i mean they as much as you would think that evangelicals who support this administration are attached to to pence seeing as he is one of them, they're actually not. They're really attached to Trump himself, uh, who they view as, you know, kind of belligerent enough to defend them. It would uh, be an it would present an interesting contrast insofar as they probably will have something that more resembles a typical kind of thing with yeah, conversations. Well, they're and, both like more cognitively available <laughs> than either one of these guys. Um but I still don't want to watch it. Well, I, you know, I agree. I mean, Kamala Harris was strong in the primary debates. At least she well, was. She had one episode that she was, was strong. willing to rip on Biden. Yeah. Uh, you know, quite incredibly. So who knows? I mean, but you can't really do that with Pence because if you call him a right winger, he'll, you know, yeah. Well, <laughs> you, you would know. focus on something that wasn't just about, you know, being reactionary. It would be, you know, the ACA or... Yeah, whatever. You screwed people, uh, you know. So I don't I don't know how it's going to... I really don't know how it's going to go, but Kamala Harris is a capable yeah, speaker. Yeah, she's not stupid. Um, no. And she's not slow. No. Um, so... Unlike... Uh, everyone involved in the presidential. Oh yes, race. no. <laughs> Trump and Biden are both dumb and slow. Yeah, you know, so it goes. Trump's got um the stage of COVID that's in the brain, um and and you know Joe is is just kind of doing his thing here. So we'll see how that goes. In the meantime, uh, there was a big uh kind of uh, explosion on Twitter over. When it came out that Trump has the COVID, Mm -hmm. uh, everyone, uh, all the Democrats, you know, seem to have kind of synchronized tweets saying, you know, oh, no, Trump has COVID. I, you know, hope you get better. Mm -hmm. Um, And everyone, you know, the left, I'd say generally were like, shut up. Uh, Stop. Stop wishing him well. Uh, What do you make of this, Matt? Well, I mean, I guess uh, ultimately, (laughs) me and I think Glenn Greenwald were on the same page on this, and Will Miniker, and it wasn't so much that I care that anyone says that, it's just, it's a little bit jarring to have 
you know, this drumbeat of... This is a fascist who's this, destroying our democracy. This is neo-fascism, authoritarianism. He's eliminated all democracy and he wants to do genocide in America. And, you know, I mean, people go that far with it sometimes. Absolutely. And, and if you were to set out, like, the difference between Joe and Trump, it's so massive, mm-hmm. you know? He is a Hitler-like figure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so yeah, I know you don't like Joe because he's kind of a reactionary shithead, but this guy, he's on a different level. Yeah, completely different story. Right? And then, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then it's like, oh, I hope it gets better. It's like a little bit weird. You know, yeah. what am I supposed to do there? Now, Glenn goes all the way into saying, yeah, this pretty much exposes all that rhetoric as bullshit. That Trump is bad, but he's bad in the same sense that, say, Bush was bad or yeah. that Reagan was bad. Uh, in fact, arguably less bad than both of them. Well, less competent um, for sure. And, you know, without COVID, and I, you know, I don't know how you score COVID <laughs> and that sort of thing, but like certainly pre-COVID, yeah. uh, you would be like less bad for sure than Bush. Um, I, you know, now I don't know how you would, you would put it together. Um, but, and so, you know, they love Bush now. You know, everyone loves Bush, man. Yeah, well, he gave Michelle Obama a cop drop. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he's good now. Yeah. Yeah, no, I remember Paul Krugman did this tweet that was like, uh, you know, 9-11, because we had the anniversary recently, and he was like, man, you know, I forget what it was, but it was like, imagine, you know, Bush Bush was there for us, unlike uh, Trump. What? You know, Bush Bush shows you, like, at least, you know, some Republicans, they can, you know, stand up to the challenge and represent America and, and be there and be our leader. I don't know, some sort of bullshit like that. And, of course, everyone's like, I don't know, Paul. You did kind of go to war in Iraq uh, from this, and that was totally unnecessary. Also, just, like, point of order. Weren't people fucking melting down because Bush was, like, reading a book to school kids when 9-11 happened and someone walked in and was like, 9-11 just happened. And he just kept reading the book. Yeah, people did try to make a little bit of hay about that at the time. I think that was in uh, Fahrenheit 9-11 is he was reading My Pet Goat and at a at a school, you know, kind of photo op <laughs> or whatever. He was just reading it himself in the well, office. And then someone came in and, yeah, you know, like, he kind of yeah. looked and, you know, I don't know. He sat there for another maybe 10, 12 minutes before he left. Yeah, I what mean, was he it, supposed it, to do? Yeah, it, it obviously didn't matter. Like, it wasn't going to make a difference. But I guess, you know, some people might say, there you go, paralysis. Uh, you know, it can't handle uh, yeah. the kind of big duties that come to you. Um, but, you know. What would you do if someone, you know, you were in that situation? I mean, if someone says to you, as was reported, uh, you know, Mr. President, the country's under attack, I think, yeah, you got to you got to go immediately. Now, I don't know. You know, I could see, you know, there's something polite about saying, well, okay, let me just, you know, I don't want to alarm these children and run out of this room and, you know, alert everyone, you know, so maybe I'll just wait a few minutes because this is about to be over. And then, you know, like, but. I don't know. You probably got to get up, I think. Humbly uh-huh. accept your fate. I think if someone came in and told me that, I would just call you, uh, which is m- maybe one piece of evidence. Well, you're assuming you're president here. Yeah. Well, I mean, I want you to call me. Well, I'm just, I'm just saying this is one piece of evidence and a torrent of evidence that I'm unfit for office. I wish everyone were as honest with themselves as I am. Anyway, uh, you know, what's bothered the Democrats, I think, about Trump all along 
is mostly uh, stuff relating to etiquette. And I think that's most evident in their uh, kind of obsession over this John McCain yes. stuff. Like Trump is an asshole and he's gauche and he has shitty taste. No, I think you're 100% right. That's the thing that really gets them is that he, at his performance, him as a figure is just so disgusting <laughs> and, and he's so dumb and blunt and you know, a doofus and it's like wrong um, and he doesn't care and he doubles down just lies all shameless. the time and it's just a repulsive figure in every way. And, you know, I don't know what to do with that kind of feeling because I mean, I sort of have the reverse sense funny. of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, because it's like for them, I feel like that's the big thing. The policy yeah. bit is sort of filled in a little bit. And, you know, they don't like that stuff, but it's, yeah. but for me, it's like his shtick is really hilarious. And like, I would, I would love the shtick if there was a different policy. I have to like, I have to overcome the fact that the shtick is good yeah. and be like, ah, but he actually sucks though. I know it's unfortunate because you're like, damn, that shtick is good. <sighs> like maybe he's good. No, he's not. No, though. He sucks. I he's mean, like good. It, he, he's less like. I don't know. It, the more hateful figure to me is somebody like Reagan, who like mm. has the most just animally brutal policy you can imagine. It's just destroying people's lives, leading to a surge in homelessness, uh, impoverishing people, killing people, presiding over the you know destruction of life due to HIV and AIDS. Um, and then he presents himself as this sort of grandfatherly, uh, extraordinarily polite. We're sort of rebuilding Camelot. It's morning in America. I'm like, fuck yeah, yeah, off. Yeah. Don't lie to me. Right. I know what you are. But, you know, people respond to that image. It's very um, uh, monarchical, I guess, yeah, if you yeah, will, right? Yeah. Like there is that desire for the president to uh, perform that function. You yeah, know? well, the like, president is our dad and the first lady is our mom and we're all a big yeah. family. Well, it reminds me, you know, I mean, in, in the uh, parliamentary systems that are republics in Europe, which are, you know, few, but there are a few of them, mm -hmm. you know, they do have a president who is the head of state. Yeah. And then you have the part, you know, so the president's like the king mm -hmm. or the queen. And, you know, they kind of serve that function like, ooh, look at my family and my dog. And, I, you know, I go to formal state dinners and, yeah. you know. And, They're and about like, national identity. Yes, exactly. And, um, you know, so people like that, I guess, to some degree. And he does that job very poorly. Um, <laughs> no, he does it perfectly. <laughs> well, I, I like the shtick. I, I, I think it would be funny. I mean, in the same sense that Rob Ford was funny or that anything <laughs> like that. I mean, like, let's go for it. Like, I don't want to, I don't know, pretend like this is a well put together country it's with not, like yeah. you know, <laughs> coherent, it's a shit like, show, professional. <laughs> yeah, like he uh, he reflects uh, not in his uh, again policy, but in his sort of boorishness and whatever. It seems to be you know that seems to be closer to what I, the image of America than so, uh, buttoned up like Obama. You know, I remember left Catholic Twitter. Uh, when we got well into Trump's administration and it became clear that he was just a fucking mess. And like, remember when we used to have all these news cycles where it was like Trump just became the president 
Like yeah, he, yeah. he would have like an hour where he seemed somewhat balanced and you know, everybody. we had that with RBG actually briefly. I mean, people don't say that anymore because it's people made fun of it. But yeah. there were there were definitely a few tweets because he was confronted on the road mm-hmm. at a rally at uh-huh. one of his air air hangar rallies, mm-hmm. and the reporter came up to him and was like, "You know, RBG's dead. What do you think of that?" And he, I don't know if you saw that clip. What but did he say? Like, well, he was like, "What for real? Like, oh, uh, he kind of paused and because he's at his rally, Elton John's Tiny Dancer is playing okay. um, behind okay. him. Um, and as as you hear Tiny Dancer blaring um, very loudly, he kind of says, look, she was a great woman. She did a great service to our country, led an incredible life, blah, blah, blah. And then he just walked off. Okay. They had nothing negative to say, nothing. Yeah. You know, he kind of paused. He did seem like he was taking it back. You know, Tiny Dancer was there to accentuate it. Okay. And, you know, there were some people who were like, you know, yeah, wow. I mean, like, you know, this is the best yeah. <laughs> performance he's put on as president so far. Um, so people still do that sometimes. Yeah, but um, I, I remember someone on Left Catholic Twitter saying, you know, having this conversation about the president being a figure who kind of encapsulates national identity and someone said, in that respect, Trump has always been the president. We were just too sinful to see it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that to myself all the time. <laughs> it's absolutely true. Um, anyway, uh, you know, I had a crisis about this on Twitter. I fired off some tweets that were ill-advised. Uh, only insofar as I don't actually like to tweet about anything meaningful because I don't want to deal with like arguing with people mm-hmm. um but the the twitter account the official twitter account that runs the united nations uh whatever committee on women women's rights not like committee on women like what are we going to do about women mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh you know women's rights um tweeted out a like a, a three-step guide to stop mansplaining okay and I thought to myself, Jesus. What are the steps? Oh, here we go. Did she indicate any desire to hear this information? Is it possible that she knows more about this topic than I do? Did I read the room before starting to speak? So, Folks, I thought... I mean, this is a problem. This is why I don't talk to people. No, 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 no. Because no. it's like, no. they didn't ask me. no. no. You know, like when they say, did she indicate any desire to hear this information? I've never had anyone come up to me. Well, sometimes they do. And that's when I will talk. People love to ask when you people stuff. come up and they're like, hey, Matt, uh, tell me about, you know, the Nordics or whatever. And I'm like, oh, well, very interesting. So, you know, um, but if it's just like a normal person that I've never met before, I'm like, I'm not saying anything to this person. I don't know what they know, don't know. I don't they haven't asked me about anything. So I'm just going to just going to let it go. Just going to freeze them out i'll answer the you know when i'm on the playground and someone comes over and they're like oh hey you know what's what's your kid's name and i'm like jane okay you should just have like a little puzzle piece you wear that just lets people know you're not interested i just answer the question and then i move on people love asking matt for directions which is actually a good instinct and people like asking you all kinds of stuff. No, they don't. People don't talk to me that much out and about. But They definitely ask you stuff more than me. I've observed it. 
Um, so you're, you're talking about like five instances. One time a guy said he thought you were working at Target and that's why he asked you a question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, I was dressed like a Target employee. <laughs> so that threw him off a little bit. <laughs> I My sense is that people ask you things because you emanate chill vibes. You're like a Zen master. You're always chill. I don't know. You're never like frantic. Anyway, uh, it occurred to me upon reading this tweet, I was like, all of my adult life, I've been hearing about fucking mansplaining. My whole fucking life, right? I mean, if you had asked me in college, I, oh yeah, mansplaining, I know what that is, blah, blah, blah. All right, grad school, oh yeah, all of my professional life, yeah, oh fuck, you hear about it more than ever now. Uh, and also manspreading, when men kind well, of Well, you don't ride the train, so you never and, have to deal with that. But I have to hear about it okay, yeah. constantly, right? These These ways in which men have bad manners. That's what we're talking about when we talk about mansplaining and manspreading and all of these other completely harmless, not aggressive, just kind of like uh, gauche or uncouth, I guess is the way to put it, behaviors that people attribute solely to men. And by the way, if you think that women never go off about shit you don't care about, didn't ask about, don't want to hear about, Women are like the queens of that, right? Like, I am an extraordinarily chatty person. <laughs> so like on an airplane, sitting next to someone, we're landing, I'm like, hey, what are you doing in the Metroplex? Do you live here? Are you here for work? I mean, I love chatting with people. Mm -hmm. Okay, how is that not woman-splaining in some respect, well, right? Well, you're asking questions no, as opposed it, to... No, but it's the same conversational faux pas of, did anyone indicate they wanted this conversation? It's true. Like It is a very similar faux pas of unwanted unsolicited conversation having right but it's a little bit different because one is based on me like telling you things that i well one implies, that, are, that i know and that i'm interested in and one is just conversing with you one implies condescension right mansplaining is about condescension why do you assume i don't know yeah why do you assume i need you to yeah. tell me the critique assumes that it's condescending but mostly uh, Men who are like talking, that's just how they communicate. <laughs> they're not women, so yeah. they're not like, girl, let me tell you. Blah, blah. I mean, of course, they're just going to be like, well, in fact, in 1964, yeah. like, they just have little knowledge. Yeah, they, I mean, at, at minimum, you know, you would have to say sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. But here's, here's what uh, my realization was and what I tweeted about. I mean... Sorry. Not that this happens on both sides, although I believe that to be the case. Also, if you've never seen a woman sitting like a dumbass on the subway, you've never seen a lady with a shitload of shopping bags or whatever. I have women seen, do be shopping. I have seen women sitting like total assholes on the subway. Well, the thing with man spreading is this biological. Uh, mm -hmm. I feel like um, occasionally that gets brought up in the discourse, but I feel like it's <laughs> it's really underplayed. <laughs> we but, need to have a national conversation about the balls. Right, like here's an idea, you know, uh, to take the tweet uh, that they put out. Is it possible she knows more about this topic than I do? I would just, I would flip it when it comes to man spreading and say, <laughs> is it possible that he knows something that I don't know? Maybe there's something about his experience, which is different from mine, vis-a-vis yeah. -vis the area around where the legs are spread open. Yeah. <laughs> maybe that's why I don't get it. And, and you know, maybe. 
maybe I just, maybe I just think about that, you know? You know, we, yeah, we, it, it's high time we discuss the balls in this culture. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> well, like in any other context, that would be the very obvious thing that you would say. You'd be like, well, no shit. You don't know what it's like to live uh, male-bodied and the uh, great perils and horror of it. I can only um, imagine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, these are etiquette problems. They are manners problems Mm -hmm. when you're bad at conversation which is all mansplaining is being bad at conversation like the woman walks away from that conversation being like that conversation sucked that's all it is is bad manners man spreading bad manners right it's just like any other way of being fucking weird and annoying on public transit and there are a million ways but for some reason uh men's shitty etiquette rises to the level of like a national concern in the media, right? It is so obnoxious to me that (laughs) there are a million things uh, we could be hammering with regard to women's rights in the media every week, right? The fact that we don't have guaranteed maternity leave in the United States. There are women who go back to work after two weeks because that's all the vacation or sick leave they have. There are women who um, have to leave their children in very unsafe situations because they have to work, but they can't afford childcare, right? Or, or it would just be barely affordable in such a way that would make their lives unlivable, et cetera, et cetera, right? There are women who uh, can't get in to see their OB-GYNs regularly, who miss pap smears, who develop fatal cancers that are completely preventable. And these are all policy issues that we could blast out all the time. Instead, I have to hear about bad manners. This is absolutely a case where the class analysis is spot on, right? Uh, it is the it is this focus, this obsession with manners and taste and self presentation is like the essence of what is so obnoxious about uh, you know the sort of bourgeois culture, right? I, who gives a shit if Trump is a fucking buffoon? You remember, you remember when people were trying to make uh, Donnie Two Scoops a thing because he had two scoops of ice cream at, at some no. state dinner. I, I remember, remember that. that. <laughs> I remember that he had two scoops of ice cream instead of one at a state dinner. I was like, I don't fucking care. Remember the the hamburgers when what's, he, what, what's wrong with two scoops? Well, of everyone ice cream? else had one, and they're like they're they're not saying, but sort of saying he's a fat ass, etc. Oh. That's what they're trying well, does to he get. Decide at. how many they have. He asked for extra ice cream. I take it. Look, just just okay. just go with it here. Uh, and then remember the hamburgers when he had the athletes. And he just that was shilled. awesome. That ruled, and people were fucking furious about it because it's bad taste. It's not. It's, <laughs> it was it's so not good. It's, that picture of it is so. Oh, amazing. it's amazing. Hopefully, I, love, I can remember to put that in the in the episode art. I love the um, the uh, the painting of Lincoln in the background overlooking <laughs> all these Wendy's. When, yeah, he had to send people out. But remember, that was because there was a shutdown. I think so. They like couldn't prepare the food yeah, or whatever. Like so that. like you know. But yeah, that picture is so good. It's it's a Twilight Zone, uncanny, just like what just happened trump is president and he's bought 500 dollars worth of fast food like <clears throat> unbelievable god same um but you know 
people freaked out about that. And it reminded me, you know, these incidents together remind me of like, that's what you're focused on. That's your thing. Shitty manners, being a bad host. Oh my God. Anything else is more important than bad manners. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, yes, I acknowledge Trump needs to go to finishing school. Catch this. Even if he did, he would fucking suck. But there's a huge chance that if he did go to finishing school and he was like a super polished politician who was very gracious and shit and whatever, went to RBG's funeral or what have you, uh, a big chunk of the um, national voices who are calling him a fascist all the time would not be saying anything. Um so it's it's very frustrating. I'm very I'm very frustrated about that aspect of our of our discourse that so much is driven by this this obsession um with with etiquette. Anyway, uh Matt, do you want to get to our brew crime sampler? Yes, let's let's uh do our do our intro. In the fight for justice. They're on your side. You can't deny. It's the Brunigs. So, um, you know, the many months ago, I had an idea, <laughs> which was that we should do a, a true, a, a separate true crime podcast mm -hmm. because. True crime is very popular. Mm -hmm. Liz loves true crime. She's consuming true crime all day, every day. I mean, um, I wouldn't, you know, necessarily. Pretty much all she does is no, true crime. that's not true. Um, and, you know, I'm I'm interested in true crime, I guess. You okay. know, I could do. Really uh, selling it here. <laughs> business crimes. <laughs> okay. I'm interested in business crimes. I do. Well, every time they do one of those like American Greeds or. Mm -hmm. You know, Netflix had like a series. I do go through all the white collar, like true crimes. Mm -hmm. Like those are very interesting to me. You get mm -hmm. to see how business works. You get to see how scam works. Usually there's short selling involved. It's a lot of fun. Um, and, uh, and yeah. But then I realized, you know, hey, like actually, I don't know, putting together an, a crime podcast, like mm -hmm. where you're going through crimes, that's that's actually kind of difficult. It is. It's a yeah. lot of work to like, you got to set it up, you got to do all this research and, you know, tell people about a crime they haven't heard. And like, how would you even find these crimes? Like realistically, most of the crimes have been covered. That's why you know about them. Um, but then I realized, hey, most, almost all these true crime podcasts, including the, like the big hitters, the like top podcasts mm -hmm. in, in the game, they just review true crime. Mm -hmm. And we could do that. And we could be way better than them mm -hmm. at reviewing true crime. And Liz is a true crime completist. She's watched every true crime program Absolutely in not history. No. Nope. And so, you know, let's go for it. That's my thought. I don't know if there would be an audience for that. Um, and, you know, we have very little time because of our uh, situation mm -hmm. involving the two children and whatnot. <clears throat> so, you know, that's the game. That's the kind of question we're uh, dealing with. Mm -hmm. Should we do it? Should we not? Should we make the commitment? <laughs> Would people actually listen to it? It is a very popular genre. Liz is very good. Knows a lot about it. And people love our solo podcasts. Mm. Could I do something? Are people <sighs> interested in us reviewing true crime shit? I don't know. But we stumbled into 
a, a an opportunity, a, an opportunity to, to give it a test drive to yeah. launch the at least review part of uh, true criming, um, the you know reviewing of shows uh, aspect of it, uh, as opposed to you know doing our own. So. So, you know, we would, we would bring you our same uh, low effort, low quality guarantee. Uh, I would say a little bit higher quality. Might pull some clips from some shows, oh, you know, okay. play some audio from them. That's fair use. Mm-hmm. Um, well, depending on frequency, it could be more like my solo cast, which are very in-depth and researched. Or it could be more like this. Mm-hmm. I'd say a mixture because you want to do once a week. Mm-hmm. So... So, you know, one type of true crime podcast no one has tried yet is that they commit crimes. That's a good question. How? Yeah. And what then, are what are telling people how to commit crimes? What crimes you could commit? <laughs> uh, maybe even just civil violations, not always crimes. Mm-hmm. You know, Matt's always catching people on Twitter committing uh, violations mm-hmm. of the NLRA. Mm-hmm. Civil violations. I got your letter from the NLRB about Ben Shapiro this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm a frequent receiver of NLRB postal uh, missives. Very strange. Um. Anyway, Matt, for reasons unknown to me, decided to watch a documentary on Chris Watts. Well, the child, so uh, the younger child uh, has been sick all week. And so I've uh, had to be up late into the uh, night and, and mm-hmm. the early morning. Um, and she will, weirdly, she would sleep, if I would sleep with her on the couch, mm-hmm. she would sleep there, mm-hmm. like, but not anywhere else. Yeah. Um, and so I had to sleep with her on the couch multiple days. Mm-hmm. And as I'm sitting there trying to kind of get her to sleep or whatever, yeah. I'd watch TV. She actually, the TV does not prevent her from sleeping. Yeah. Um, that's never been a problem. So flip on the Netflix, they got this new shiny you know netflix original Mm -hmm. called an american murder or something like that that's the one they're recommending look at it i'm like all right let's try this try this bad boy on Mm -hmm. normally i wouldn't you know maybe click that but it was late nothing else going on couldn't watch my sports or nothing so what did you make of it i mean uh i guess we i should give you an overview yeah you should give the plot of this uh murder and whatnot well chris watts uh, was a, you know, I guess a pretty normal uh, professional or so it seemed. He worked um, in the oil and gas industry. Right. Um, he lived in, with his family in Frederick, Colorado. Uh, he had a wife named Shannon and two daughters, a four and a three-year-old. Uh, There's Bella and then Celeste. Uh, and his wife at the time of the murders was pregnant with a boy. 15 weeks pregnant. That's just over the first trimester line. Uh, He had become involved with a woman at work. Uh, This woman knew he was married, um, but believed him to be separated from his wife, Shannon, which he was, um, at least for a time. Well, and for about six weeks, she took taken the kids mm-hmm. to North Carolina or South mm-hmm. Carolina, and this was not a separation. This was let's go see the grandparents because both sets of grandparents lived out there. Yeah, and she, that's something she could do because her job she was doing direct sales, which mm-hmm. they didn't elaborate, but sounds like 
Mary Kay, Avon, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Mostly a stay-at-home mom, it seems like, who maybe did some direct sales on the side. Mm-hmm. She's able to do that, spend a lot of time with them out there. It was one of her kids' birthdays. Mm-hmm. It was go see the family for an extended period of time. Um, he, you know, was unable because he works like on the regular, mm-hmm. you know, attending uh, the gas and oil wells out there. So in a sense that that was a literal separation but there was no indicator whatsoever in any texts or anything that this no. was ever like oh we're gonna you know see see some time apart we need to get our distance or anything like that it just yeah. so happened that uh, it looked like a real separation but it wasn't so he was not formally separated from his wife which is what he had led his mistress nicole to believe uh and and so you know, there is something very typical about this case where if one member of a family lives and everyone else in the family is disappeared or dead, there's clearly something going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, 99% of the time. 99% of the time. And also, if a woman uh, is murdered, um, the likelihood that it is her male partner, boyfriend, estranged boyfriend, husband is fucking through the roof. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is, again, 99% of the time you got your man. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is something kind of puzzling and strange about this case. So you can kind of uh, analogize it to the Lacey Peterson case. Mm-hmm. Scott and Lacey Peterson, right? Woman goes missing found dead, who is it? It's definitely the husband, mm-hmm. okay? This doesn't actually seem like it was a rationally plotted out murder. Like, he, he doesn't seem to have actually planned it in in hopes of getting away and starting a new life. Now, what's interesting about Chris Watts is he's still alive and he's talking, Right. Um, This is a this is a certain kind of crime. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, But there are lots of comparable cases. And this one is unusual. So he was having an affair, et cetera, et cetera. That sort of might be a red herring. He always described his wife as being overbearing and the one who was in charge in their relationship while he was sort of introverted uh, and quiet. When he had begun this relationship at work, he had started working out. He got really jacked. Um, so it, it was, I believe, let's see, uh, August of 18. He uh, is at the house with the kids. The kids are asleep. His wife gets home around 2 a.m. from a business trip. This is Shannon. Right. So they were gone for six weeks. Mm-hmm. The first week she came back, she needed to go on a weekend trip. Yeah. That was like a retreat to help her learn marketing techniques for her direct sales or whatever. Yeah. And so she comes back yes. from that weekend trip. Very uh, in the early, early morning hours. Yeah. So he's with the kids. Kids are asleep. Uh, at this point, she knows he's having an affair. Right. But they haven't discussed. She suspects it many right. weeks ahead. That yeah. was one of the really cool things about the documentary yeah. is it was told with very little interviews. It was uh-huh. all told with texts. Uh-huh footage from body cams Mm -hmm. some like drone stuff obviously to kind of fill in the gaps but Mm -hmm. uh police interview stuff so you get to see her worrying about this through her text messages because she's texting her friends and being like oh you know he won't 
you know, he, he, he didn't reply to my text messages mm-hmm. last night and like, you know, what's up with that? And, um, you know, he did actually come to North Carolina for the last week of that six weeks. Yeah. So she was gone for five weeks. He could only get one week off. So he came for the last week. Mm-hmm. And when he gets there, you get texts from her to her friends being like, you know, he's not, he didn't have sex with me. He didn't, you yeah. know, grab my ass. He didn't, you know, like, this is very alarming to me. Right. So she obviously suspects it many, yes. many weeks in advance. Um, I didn't get any indication from the movie that, like, when was there some kind of certainty for her? Did it happen right then when she arrived? They pointed out that she had noticed and noted that there was a $60 charge for a restaurant and that that was not possible where they were. Like you can't as an individual go spend $60 at this basically like Chili's type restaurant like that. That would require at least a second person. So who's he who's he going to this restaurant with? She sees that and then she goes through and sees a bunch of other transactions that are like that. And it's like, oh, my God, like, you know. Right. Um, so there's some awareness, but it's so not clear. She gets back from this business trip, the early morning hours in August of 18. And they have uh, an interaction. And in fact, they have sex. That's what he says. It's what he says. And then uh, they begin arguing. I guess she broaches the topic of the affair. They had so the way he tells it in them and at, at finally when he's you know confessed everything is she comes home she takes a shower maybe yep. they have sex they go to sleep they wake up the next morning and that's when the conversation goes. and so you know she brings this up and he says that he straddled her she was still laying in bed yeah in the course of the argument and then became extremely angry at her mm-hmm. and strangled her to death. So then the question was, why, why did you kill your kids, man? Um, again, the woman he was having an affair with knew he had children. Um, he says, you know, he had envisioned a future with the children in his life. He hoped to have partial custody. Um, but he told interviewers that he just snapped and um, was furious and his anger at his wife spilled over and was directed at the children this again seems like it doesn't make sense no because he didn't kill them right then he took them on a one-hour car ride before he killed them right so he didn't kill them in the house well, in a moment took of them rage on a one-hour car ride to the site where he planned to, to his, dump the bodies to his work site which was an oil site yeah and then they were killed there right so that's that's a long time to well, cool off i mean it's not a crime of passion yeah but that doesn't mean it's not motivated by rage right so this kind of crime is called family annihilation Oh, okay. Um, it's a it's a thing. It's, it's a, a genre. See, that's what I'm telling you. Liz knows all about the genres. It's a category genres. of crime. It's almost always men who are family annihilators. They almost always commit suicide. Um, so, family annihilation is typically annihilation proper, right? Mm-hmm. It's every single member of a nuclear family is killed, and sometimes extended family. Mm-hmm. Um, so, there have been many cases. Um, Chris Watts obviously didn't commit suicide and they don't always, but oftentimes in family annihilations, the murder 
by the father of the children is an act of aggression against the mother. So um, some family annihilators, there was a case like this in Texas, as a matter of fact, will call the mother and tell her, I'm about to kill your kids. I'm killing the kids. Um, and then we'll do it. And this is to cause distress to the mother. In, in some cases, then the mother will, of course, come home as quickly as possible, where she will then be killed. And then he will kill himself. So the idea is to cause maximum pain um, and suffering to the female partner. This, this is typical of men. Um, and then, But she's already dead. Right. And so, so I mean, you just kind of paste that over as irrational. He's just so, I mean, right. The crimes, especially homicides, you know, some of them are fully rational and sort of calculated, but especially crimes that involve direct family or associates, especially when there's sort of blood relation, sex involved, right? Like a drug crime where you're killing someone because whatever, they owe you money or a rival gang. These are rational crimes. Those people really aren't a risk to anyone who's not involved in this transaction web with them. These kinds of crimes are very different. They come from a very dark place. They kind of emerge from the id and they are not governed by the same laws of rationale that ordinary life is. Mm -hmm. So you just have to take for granted, I think, in this case, that it's possible for someone to become so furiously angry, not at a person, such that it could be uh, exhausted with their death. Like, you wouldn't continue being angry at someone after they died. Mm, yeah, I don't think so. But you also wouldn't, con like, uh, I guess, would you continue to love someone after they were dead? <laughs> That's a yeah, good question. You might have to consider yourself somewhat of an unusual subject. Um, but in this case, it seems like the anger was such and the fury was such that it persisted even after she was already dead. Yeah, but I, uh, I mean, yes, there, I think yeah. I think this is the best story. There are for other sure. explanations. Yes, I think this is the best theory because the first thing you have to deal with is uh, you have to explain why I did something that could not possibly work. Right. Um, this and is you Matt's go, response to all crime. Well, <laughs> a lot of crimes could work. And they maybe they don't pan out. That's why we, you know, get the nice uh, who done it solved mm -hmm. at the end of it. But you look at it and you go, yeah, I could see this if you hit it a little bit better, mm -hmm. or they didn't pick up that little bit of evidence. Like you, you could have cleared this. I see it. I see it. Um, this one is like it just this is not well planned at all. It's yeah. not clear. I mean, he did like he did an okay job. I mean, you see what I'm saying? Like if it's a fit of rage, like. And you're not trying to get away with it yeah. or whatever, then you just do something in the house. Everyone's dead. You, I don't know. Maybe you freak out and like jump in your car and try to drive away. Right. I mean, that would have been a, he would have had an almost better shot <laughs> if he had just, just jumped in the car and gone and like pulled the plates <laughs> off and seen how far he could make it on some cash or something. Yeah. Um, so the story they, they emphasize more in the, in the documentary, mm -hmm. which, you know, is the perhaps easier story is just he's found someone he likes better. Mm -hmm. She's, uh, you know, they kind of played up like she's younger and hotter. Mm -hmm. I don't know. She didn't seem 
she seems similar to me in terms of appearance, but, um, but whatever she, you know, they would go outdoors. They had all these pictures of them like hiking and maybe she's like an outdoorsy person and he's now into like exercising and and maybe like you said, the wife is maybe just a little overbearing uh, and maybe she's a little bit more, I don't know. Uh, whatever you want to call it a sweet or i don't know like meek uh, meek and like uh you know traditional gender uh you know what i mean i don't know what how to how to express that concept but just like deferential well that's um, what i would say is sometimes with affairs which you're also having several so you you, you're aware um well (laughs) uh this isn't this is a running joke because matt doesn't like to talk to strangers Um, so uh, with affairs, sometimes it's about the ways in which one person differs from another. Like my wife is not attractive. This person's younger and more attractive. As you point out in this case, they looked very similar, actually. It looks similar to me. But oftentimes with affairs, it's about the person who is having the affair feeling like a different person with someone else. Mm-hmm. So you have an extraordinarily stable personality. So this probably isn't something you've experienced a lot, but people with more malleable, more mercurial personalities—they kind of become someone else in different contexts. I see. So to the degree his wife was like overbearing, and he felt emasculated, and that was pissing him off slowly over time, having to do these shitty photo shoots. Which yeah, they, she took a lot of pictures, and like they were. Posed. I mean, that's that's what helped the. Uh, the movie so much is that she was posting like videos and pictures to social media every day. Yeah. And so to the degree that he's being made to participate in this shit and he doesn't want to, and he feels like the family is a little bit strapped for cash and she wants to live more lavishly than he could really afford. It's just slowly building pressure where he feels like an emasculated cuck. But then when he's with this other woman, like you say, maybe she is somewhat more agreeable uh, and he's getting jacked and getting built and she's like respecting his gains and shit. <laughs> and so, and she's also not asking anything of him. I mean, that's the thing about a mistress. Uh, unless you're like, a, you know, a well-to-do French gentleman, you're usually not supporting her out of pocket, <laughs> right? And he wasn't. So all of those things that are emasculating about being in a marriage, about domesticity, mm-hmm. are not there. And so he's another person with her. I see. Right? And you can also fit that theory of the crime in with this rage, right? This yeah. whole domestic situation is a situation where I am someone I don't want to be. I right? see. Yeah, no, I see. So it's not so much a comparison between the potential spouses or partners or whatever you want to call them, but a comparison between the way that you feel with them and the way that you feel you are with them. And so people who are more uh, Mm -hmm. dynamic in the way that they feel and self-conceptualize based on how other people regard them, Mm -hmm. you know, can feel very, very different, like you said. Not to say I don't, but generally I'm a more internally uh, defined. I, I try and turn, define myself internally more they, than uh, uh, by how other people. <clears throat> having an internal locus of control. There you go. That's what they, they say in the therapy, I suppose. In the therapy. Um, and, but anyways, I kind of just went with it and thought, okay, I get it. Wants to be with this lady. Doesn't want to be with his wife anymore. And... 
immediately it's like, well, I mean, the lady knows you have a wife and you've already told her that you're separated. At least as she tells it, she's like, because part of the part of the funny, uh, I don't know, uh, series of events in this is, you know, for a while they he's in the news please help find my wife and so on and then she comes to the police sort of unsolicited and is like i've been having an affair with this guy and i just wanted to let you know like this and this and this and like that obviously raises a lot of eyebrows like oh well that's suspicious um but in the story it's like i knew he was married i knew he had kids but he was separated from her at least that's what i understood it i mean i now know he was lying to me about that but um in that context, if she's okay with that, then why don't you just carry out the separation? Yeah. And this is where your story, I mean, your story works because it's, the rage is so irrational, you can overcome any, anybody being like, well, that doesn't make sense. Right. But like, if you like the way you feel with her, around her and you don't like the way you feel around your spouse, you have a way to make that work. You have a way to make that work because she's already said she's okay being with you because you're separated from her. So just do, just separate. Just go do the divorce, and now you can feel the good feels. It's not like that, though. <sighs> anyway, so that's sort of my, I, I kind of go with that. Yeah. But then you're like, what the hell is this guy doing? What are you doing? How is this supposed to work? Like, how are you, what was the theory of how this was going to get away? Because when they came, when the cops came, it was actually very interesting with the body cam footage because mm-hmm. they you get to see the cop come. He waits for him to arrive. He can't go in the house because there's no probable cause or anything. Mm-hmm. Like a friend just calls and does like, can we do a wellness check? And the cop shows up and he's like, well, we got to wait until the homeowner comes. And mm-hmm. he shows up and he finally comes in. And then the cop's still waiting outside the door very uh very uh you know in a very law-abiding way and being like well i can't come in because uh, you have to invite me in uh you do, do you mind if i come in he says sure and then, then the cop comes in you get to see all this on the body cam and he's just kind of looking around and being like oh I don't, I don't know oh man their 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 uh, sheets are gone their their bedding is gone so you know she left her wedding ring here um it's still by the bedroom you know he's kind of kind of trying to spin this story of like Oh, she took off with the kids, uh-huh. right? And the problem is, is her car is still there. Uh-huh. Yeah. What do you, <laughs> what, how are you going to spend this story when the car is still there? Well, I mean, this, this gets into uh, something that Batman uh, says frequently, that criminals are a cowardly and superstitious lot. They're not, you're not dealing with fucking Hannibal Lecter here, man. Just dumb shit. And then what was very interesting is in the process of this, I don't know, they start asking the neighbors. I don't know. I guess because a bunch of cop cars are there. And so one of the neighbor kind of sidles up and is like, oh, uh, you know, what's going on? Oh, well, my wife, you know, this and that. He's like, well, you know, I got a camera on my house. And I can see just, you know, it's motion activated. So I can kind of see when something happens on the street, Mm -hmm. sort of. And I think it points sort of, it doesn't point at your house, but it's, I think we might be able to see it. So let's go look. And he goes to his little smart TV and he pulls it up and you see his like truck kind of come into the scene at like, I don't know, 5 a.m. or like it was dark still outside and he just kind of parked it there. And he's like, oh yeah, you know, that's where I park my car, you know, when I 
because it's easier to offload the tools from there and mm-hmm. so on. And they kind of play with this and everyone's, you know, just kind of showing it to the cop. And then the guy, he finally like leaves uh-huh. the uh, Chris and uh, the guy who's showing it, who's just like some fucking you know 35 year old like dude, you know, was like, nah, like that's fucking never does that. And, uh, he's also acting real strange right now. Um, but, um, but yeah, so it's like, and then where does he go and take them? He goes and takes them to his work site. Yeah. Now that actually did weirdly play out because apparently they couldn't find them mm-hmm. until he finally confessed, which they got him to do by having him take a polygraph test, which again, is just like, just Keystone cough level, just like, what the fuck's going on, dude? Like, polygraph tests are fake. Yeah, but they work to the degree that he thinks. I don't even know if he failed it formally. I mean, that's what was so funny about, that. I don't know, this series of events. It's like, would you take a polygraph test? He's like, sure. And then, you know, he takes it, and then she comes in, and she goes, we both know you failed that polygraph test. Right. And then he kind of unravels. It's like, did he even fail it? I mean, that's the whole thing no, is bogus. That's it's the a, thing is it doesn't matter. It, it they If you tell someone, I have proof, you did it the likelihood that they're about to crack is pretty high. Because again, you're not dealing with people who are like trained by Mossad to withstand interrogation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he he sees the things unfolding. And they're setting them and they're using their techniques. But but anyways, they didn't actually find the bodies until he told them where they were, Mm -hmm. uh, even though they were right there in that work site. And they did find a sheet in that work site. So they had to know, presumably, that they were probably nearby. Um, but, But yeah, it's just like... I just am just totally baffled by it. You want to like, be you want to be baffled by another little detail here? What? Most family annihilations occur in August. Heat. I mean, heat. Twenty percent of them. Heat do. drives a lot of shit. I'm just saying that that gives credence to the anger. The anger, and it's not just anger at the wife and the kids and the domesticity. It's it's about hating himself and wanting to be someone else and live a different life. I mean, people can get in a in a kind of fugue state where they're in surreality what do, you, what do you think the august hook is is it because he's had all summer to kind of have a you oh know, i think it's heat and it's anger just heat. it's just heat rage yeah. people can't sleep as well when it's super hot yeah yeah well um, he works outside doing yeah. oil shit, i think so. yeah i think they lose their minds a little bit i think august is the worst month of the year august is a wicked month that's a book you can read it he does he does spike that crime um but you know i think this guy i mean is a piece of shit um he's serving i believe consecutive life sentences yeah he pled out to do life sentences i wouldn't want to do that no no they uh, well initially he tried to tell a story they actually suggested this story to him mm -hmm. which was very interesting i think it was a strategy to get him to confess yeah like once they they're like you know you failed this and like and then they were like could you just i mean did she do something to the girls? Is that what happened? Mm-hmm. You know, like placing this in his mind. It was actually very clever. Like most of the time you see these cop shows and they're doing really dumb shit. Like, um, not like, not like the fictional cop shows, but like the normal ones, like you watch them investigate and they're just, it's a joke. Like, yeah. but these guys are very, seem like very savvy and psychologically smart and how they, they like, oh, let me suggest, here's why you killed her. That actually would, you know, get you off of these two murders. And like, you mm-hmm. know, and then, you know, he brings his dad and they leave the room and let him come talk to his dad. And he tells his dad the lie that they just told him, which was that she had killed the kids. And then he snapped and killed her. And he does this 
in the room so there's cameras so you, you, <laughs> but they come in and he he you know tells them the same thing um which was prob which was false yeah. um like we know this is false now um and then once they get that they're like oh well, come on with that bullshit about she killed <laughs> it's like that's a, you know come on with that and then eventually you know like they, yeah. they, i don't know that was a very clever very clever well move. a but, lot of interrogations just wearing someone down right they he just doesn't have a lawyer stop. i mean i get it look it's, i mean like you said he's a dumb dumb and you i don't know the whole thing is so fucked up but as a general matter and i know it's hard because it looks bad and i'm sure the police would think something negative about you and the general public would think something negative about you and i don't know maybe it might even hurt yourself a little bit in the jury though i think mm -hmm. a good judge would make sure that this was not something that anyone like dwelled upon mm -hmm. never <laughs> never go into anything like that without a lawyer especially if you didn't do it yeah especially if you didn't do it because then they're trying to pin this shit on you yeah and they're gonna have you like you said wear you down do like never never yeah a lawyer would not have permitted all sorts of things i mean he still would have been screwed there's no way out of this because he killed his kids and and wife and put them at his work site like yeah. i mean it, it was over um and there was so many texts and so you know i mean like it, yeah. but just as a side note that kind of that stuff kind of shocks me and i mean granted i'm a i'm an attorney so i i would have <laughs> a, a different perspective on these things but um it's very it's a very very sad horrible case this guy is an incredible narcissist i've never I mean, I always marvel at this when I hear about killers. Um, but for someone with so little to offer, was extremely impressed with himself. Well, I, he was jacked at that point. I'm you always, know, he was a good-looking man. I'm always shocked when um, just total pieces of shit who appear to know what they've done was extremely wrong plead out to avoid death. Yeah, that is an interesting phenomenon. I would definitely much rather die than spend Dude, 40 years in prison. you killed your wife and kids. What are you living for? You know you're never going to see the outside of prison. There's no possibility of parole. Right. Well, he also didn't try the theory that they had proposed to him. Right. Which, I mean, that would have been the other move. You know, I mean, and I don't know. Maybe, the, I, I don't know if this is appropriate uh, way to talk about true crimes <laughs> or if this is too flippant or something. Uh, uh, you know, I haven't, I'm not steeped in the podcasting genre. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they floated to him this theory, which was that she killed the girls because she was mad at him. Mm -hmm. So essentially a family annihilation type motive that yeah. you just talked about, but to get back at him for cheating, mm -hmm. you know. And then... Once he woke up and realized that she had, you know, kind of quietly gone into each girl's room and, and strangled them to death or whatever, mm -hmm. he killed her mm -hmm. and then freaked out. Oh, my God. You know, no one's going to believe any of this. I got to like try to hide it or whatever. Uh, d you know, just run a run a defense like that. Put that up as your defense and you might get convicted, but, yeah. you know. Like, e in that case, either you lose and they're like, no, bullshit, you killed all three of them. And then they sentence you to death and that's better than 40 years in prison. Or they say, well, there's m there's reasonable doubt about the girls. Maybe it did play out that way. Mm -hmm. And you only get convicted of the one and you get convicted of the one in a kind of, uh, you know, with the circumstances a little bit 
yeah. uh, uh, what would you say, mitigated. Yeah. <laughs> and and maybe you could get a 20-year sentence or something like that. I don't know. Um, but like there's some, some, I would at least try that over <laughs> pleading. Um, but maybe he he became, had some shred of decency left at the end. Well, and was the other like, thing is you don't necessarily want to get dragged through a trial. Right? Yeah, I, I suppose mean, if he was, if he, if he was not a complete you know sociopath yeah. if he's feeling you know that kind of pain he would rather just get well, it behind i mean him. the thing about these kinds of uh killers is like and this is true even of some serial killers like y- they sometimes want to avoid a trial because they're ashamed of the things that would be said about them and the things that would come to light and they also sometimes want to avoid a trial because they are still attached in various ways to family members of theirs. Mm-hmm. Um, and and sometimes they want to avoid a trial because, um, you know, if they know they're going to prison, they don't want all possible information out there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as a kind of epilogue to this documentary, it's the first full-length documentary produced about this particular crime Um inmates at the prison where he is being held are excited to watch it. They have told reporters and mm-hmm. are, are very curious to find out what's in it. A lot of these guys have kids on the outside. They miss and wish to see, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And this is a guy who basically had everything um, and, and threw it away. So uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Crime, you know, these kinds of crimes, especially, like I say, they, you know, they come from a very deep, dark place inside someone. And it's hard to even begin to understand what goes into them other than, you know, people are capable of evil and evil is not, uh, you know, sophisticated and interesting. Evil is very typically um, stupid, irrational degradation and madness. There's this part in Paradise Lost where Milton says, abashed the devil stood and felt how awful goodness is. So this is in a time where awful still means full of awe. And he's abashed, he's ashamed. The devil beholds how incredible and infinite and sophisticated and important goodness is and has to deal with how petty and stupid and ridiculous and doomed this rebellion is. And I think very, very often uh, these kinds of heinous crimes fit that criteria. So there you have it. Thanks for tuning in. Bye. Bye.